0: All right, Acts 27, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, there, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lae. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day—it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, "Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also." But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and it could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed." Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. "'Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. "'Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. "'But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. "'The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. "'The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, "'but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan.' He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely.
1: Thanks, Courtney, our professional axe reader. Uh, and we love having you here and love being able to talk to you and love and love and love. How are you? Good. Well, um, it's, it's Valentine's Day, everybody. And so if you're a lady, I hope you got a rose or two or a dozen. But we plan this specifically on a day that everyone celebrates hugs and kisses and chocolate. We're going to talk about storms and shipwrecks. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? I love the timing of this church. Um, but actually, it's, it's not a coincidence that we reach this kind of text. And I'm glad we took the time to read it. Friends, there's nothing more valuable than reading what God has written to us. Nothing. Newspaper, lame. Headlines, depressing. Time looking at what God has done in the real world. This really happened. Real, literal storm. This is not a metaphor about life. It's about what happened on a real body of water and a real boat and real trouble. And we get a chance to investigate it. And, um, you know, thinking about what happened here and what's going on in your world, any one of you who've had a serious like, relationship, you understand conflict, right? Yeah, Paul's going through a real like windstorm, rainstorm. But those of us who may not be caught in that right now, we do understand what it's like to be caught between a rock and a hard place. So let's just not kid ourselves on a day like today where some of us are giddy and many are not. Uh, we're not going to pretend that there's such thing as a fairy tale relationship and a fairy tale marriage. Those are fairy tales. But the fact is, in life, we're going to all go through struggles. We're all going to hit storms. We're all going to hit conflict. So what we want to do is not um, make this a myth, but look at it for what it is, what happened to Paul in the real world, but then also think about how we can apply it to our situation because as Paul goes through his struggles, as you go through your struggles, you may find that what God did for Paul, he might even do for you. So a couple of things let's let's think about. Let's start with the obvious as we look at Acts 27. Obvious point number one, we will not escape life's storms. This is just so obvious, but let's just get it out there because there is One segment of pop theology today that we just have to address that suggests, and it's pop, it's not been around for most of church history, that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be a okay As a matter of fact, the sign of God's blessing is that you live a conflict-free, victorious life without any struggle, and anything that happens wrong to you, it's the devil's fault. You defeated it in Christ, therefore move on. You're a victor. Now, because I'm in Christ, I am a victor. Would you agree? Yeah. And because I'm in Christ, the end of the story and the ultimate battle has already been won. Would you agree? Yeah. But Paul is an apostle who has seen the Lord Jesus physically somehow. And he has done more miracles than you'll ever do. And he wrote more scripture than you ever will. And he's smarter than you. And he goes through the storm just like everybody else. He's in the ship like everybody else. And his life is threatened like everyone else. Let's just let's just be blunt. You're going to go through life storms. So am I. And so we shouldn't see that as a negative thing. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And the third day they threw the ships, tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Paul and his crew reached the end of their rope. At this point, they realized this is the end. God has brought us this far, but we're not going to make it to shore. Now, one of the beautiful mysteries of following Jesus is the fact that we go through seasons of trial and suffering. And I chose that phrase carefully. One of the beautiful mysteries... And I don't want to make light of what you're going through. I don't know all that you're, you're wrestling with right now, but I want to suggest by the end of this morning that you can see your struggle and pain as a beautiful mystery that what God is going to do in and through you and your circumstance can turn out in the end to be a beautiful thing, even though it's mysterious as to why. Now, let's think about trouble. We did this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at three chapters, but I want to recap. Recap. Where does your trouble come from? There's at least three sources, and if you missed it, this is a good reminder. Is it from sin, is it from Satan, or is it from God? And then we can look at Paul's situation. Sometimes our our circumstances are due to sin, our sin, or someone else's. There's cause and effect. And sometimes there's a setback because someone has disobeyed God, and there has a ripple effect, and it even touches us. That happens. But is it from Satan? Sometimes it's from Satan or one of his followers. We live in a world that there are competing kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Jesus, and there's the kingdom of evil, and the kingdom of Satan, and they clash. And sometimes the enemy throws out attacks against God's kids. That's a fact. Or is it from God? Some of our trials are from God. Now as we look at Paul and his battle here. It's a natural occurrence. Uh, It's not from sin, and and I don't know if this is an attack from Satan. Paul doesn't put it that way. Could it be that God is about to do something in this boat? I'm going to lean in that direction. The text isn't hyper clear, but I just want to remind you when you're filtering through your struggles, let's not blame the devil, and let's not blame God. Let's be humble in our approach. God has a plan and God has a purpose. And he's going to work through it. What we do know as Jesus followers is that Jesus clued us in that trouble is a part of following him. John 16, 33. says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So trouble is going to happen But Jesus says, it's okay, because I've actually overcome every temptation Jesus overcame. Wind and waves came against Jesus. He said, peace, be still. Sickness came left and right all around Jesus. Jesus healed. Death happened to Jesus' good friend Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come out. There is not a battle that Jesus is not already a victor over. So he says, you're going to go through struggles, but be of good cheer. I've overcome. And then John 17, 15 to 18. My prayer, so as Jesus prays for you this morning, is not that you take them out of this world. Pause. God, get me out. <laughs> and Jesus said, uh, I, already, I already prayed that you'd stay in. But that you would protect them from the evil one. So some attacks are just evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is speaking of you and me. We're now identified with Jesus. So even though we're living in a very real world, we're a part of a different kingdom that's above this world. That's a mind-blowing Sunday morning thought. You're you're going to a day-by-day job. You're eating real food. You're living in a real place, paying real taxes, I hope. and, And at the same time, you belong to Jesus, the king of the universe. So you're above this. You're in it, but you're above it. So how do you make sense of this? Look at what Jesus says. Sanctify them by the truth. Set them apart to be like me. By the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus says. As you've sent me into the world, I've sent them to the world. The mission of Jesus. Jesus is about to go to the cross. The mission of Jesus is now fulfilled through you and me. So as we go out to be the Jesus people, we're going to face what Jesus faced. Opposition. All that to say God isn't surprised by our suffering. He's not. He told us in advance of <laughs> what happened. So when we're in the middle of trouble... The natural response for you and me is to ask why. And I'm here to say, like, if if you're asking right now, like, why? That is totally natural, but it shouldn't be the only question. Like, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? How do I get out? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? All of those are honest, good questions. Keep asking them. Jesus isn't like, "Oh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my kids are wondering why. No, he's totally cool with it. But there's another question that might be more helpful as you're waiting for God to answer why, and hear me, he may never answer why. And he's God, and it's his prerogative, okay? So he doesn't owe you anything. Frankly, let me not be mean, but let's be honest. You're not as important as you think you are. God is the ruler, and we are his creation, so if he doesn't answer in your way, At your timing, he has the right to be God. Food for thought. Go eat chocolate. Anyway, um, so the text doesn't say, now a good one would be to ask what? Throw that in the mix. Not just how and uh, and why, but ask what? God, what is it that you want to teach me? What is it that you want me to do? What is it that I can focus on right now as I await for your deliverance? So let's just ask the full spectrum of questions. And the, the question to what God is doing will help you to see the big picture. Okay, so one, trouble's going to happen. We know that. Issue number two in this text and in our world is that we are never alone. Now part of the trouble with trouble is that it ends up focusing us in. When I'm in trouble, I, I look less around me. I start to look in. I focus on my problems. Why is this happening to me? I think about what I need to do and how I'm going to get out of it. But look at the text. Uh, Look back at verse 4 of Acts 27. He says, From there we put out to sea and passed to the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. We, us. Verse 5. When we had sailed across the open sea, we, off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra and, and Lycia. We, 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 we. You see, God put Luke, the writer, in the boat with Paul. This is important to remember. When you and I are going through seasons, and my friend, trouble is a season. Wind and wave is a season. It's not all of life. It's not. But when you're in that moment, remember, it's not just you, it's we. And if you were honest and you looked around, there are probably some people around you that God has placed at that point of your human story so that you would have someone to lean on, someone to talk to, someone to cry with, someone to ask questions. God brings people in our world at seasons of life to be with us even through our suffering. The question is, do we see God at work. See, God puts people in the boat. So this morning you may have an eating disorder and it's tearing you up and you've, you're riddled with guilt or shame or embarrassment. Can I just say you're not the only one here? That's not to minimize what you're going through, but you're not the only one. You, might be on the end, uh, you may be on the edge of a relational breakdown. You're like, I am one week away from this thing imploding or exploding. Can I just say to you, I've been around this church since it's beginning, you are definitely not the only one. Many relationships in this room are filled with grief and with tension and with angst. You are not the only one. You may have been victimized by rape or some some other form of abuse, and it's evil, and its source is Satan. But at the same time, can I just say a word of hope? You are not the only one here, unemployment, here, cancer, here, loneliness, here, anxiety, here, depression, here. Now, if you're visiting this morning, this is a great time to, to leave. This is just like, like, dude, this is the lamest church I've ever been to. But before you walk out, which would be really embarrassing right now, so hold it in. <laughs> um, can, I, can I just say, we're a messy church because we're a messy people and life is messy, and we're totally okay with that. Now, it's not co- okay that we're all suffering. And that, that is, we, we do have a shoulder to cry on. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We try to follow Jesus in this. But it's part of God's world for you. So we'll always be messy. And it'll always be a mixed bag. And that's why the church is a beautiful thing. Because when you're on a high, you'll have people that you can celebrate with. And when you're not on a high, which is most of life, When you're really feeling it, you will not be alone. The enemy's greatest trick in the world of the Christian is to isolate you or make you feel like you're the only one. And if he can get you in that pity party and keep you in that pity party, you will miss the fact that Luke is right with you. There's someone in the boat with you. And so this morning, join the community. Get engaged in the community. Why? Because there are storms. Third thing I want us to see is that Jesus is going to guide us through. Now, Jesus guides and navigates Paul's story the entire way. Look at, look at before they get in the boat, verse 10. Before they get in the boat, actually middle of verse 9. Paul warns them, man, I can see that your voy- voyage is going to be disastrous. There's always a downer in the room, right? Guys, we're about to go out. I know this is going to go bad and bring great loss to the ship and cargo, and to our lives also. By the way, we're going to die too. But the centurion, who's in charge, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. So there are going to be times in life where you know the right thing to do, Paul. Is he right or wrong? He's totally right. The ship is lost, the cargo is lost, and they all should have died. Paul gets inside. Now, did he check his weather app? Like, did he? How did he know... This is going to turn out to be disastrous. Was Paul like a master, like ship guy? I don't know. It could have been natural, like he, he's a smart guy and he knows trends and he knows the season. Or it could have been a word from the Spirit. We don't know. But what we do know is there are times that you are in the right. You know the right thing to do, but you're not in charge and someone else makes the final decision. So you work hard, and you work that job, and now you're about to get laid off because someone else above you didn't listen to your great advice. Welcome to the club. It's exactly where Paul finds himself. So so conflict is not just, and storms are not just about like you did it. Sometimes living in the real world puts us in places that we never thought we would be. Paul's not in the driver's seat, but hear me, Jesus is. Jesus is in the driver's seat. So there's the pilot, there's the centurion, there's Paul. But above that is Jesus because Jesus gets them through. Look look at verse 22. Just jump down to verse 22. I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Here's why. Verse 23. Last night, Paul says, an angel of the Lord, uh, angel of the God whom I belong. So he really qualifies this. This isn't just like some spiritual insight. An angel, a representative of the God I serve, and to whom I serve, stood beside me, freaky, and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, man." For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is a total shift in perspective. you got to remember, Paul is one of hundreds of prisoners. He has no clout. He's He's not sailing first class. He's in chains. He is a nobody. But God is above the circumstance. So God gives his kid the right word at the right time. To the right group of people, God wants to keep his promise to Paul. You're going to stand before Caesar. You're going to preach the gospel in Rome. And guess what? This is just just a perspective changer. Everyone else gets to live because God's going to save Paul. (laughs) That's a mind-blowing thought. God is with you. And the fact that you follow God, I follow God, and we're fulfilling the mission of Jesus on this planet leads to the salvation of other people that are around us. You're a child of the king. Don't you forget that. And Jesus is bigger than the storm, and he's bigger than the mass, and he's bigger than the centurion. He is bigger. Now, a side note, but connected to this, this is why we value listening to God. Uh, The little advert about pre-gathering prayer. It's not an exercise in futility or a way to get you in the seat earlier. At 8.30, you can join other people listening to the voice of God In real time. For about what's about to happen. So if you're seated here, you just need to know we prayed for you. Oh, by the way, because some of you missed 830. We prayed that God would speak to you while you sit in your seat. How's that for weird? It's not weird. Because we know... That as God is intersecting with our story, there are moments where we need to hear from him. So if you need to hear from him this morning, don't you worry. Jesus is bigger. Now I'm not going to guarantee you he's going to tell you exactly what to do at exactly the right time. But I am here to say that if you will listen, if you'll open up your life to God's speaking voice, we don't think this is just for Paul. We don't think this is just for like 2,000 years ago and for people sailing on on the waters in chains in a ship. We think this is for everyday life. God wants to communicate his love and his word to you. And there are seasons of life where you get to hear him. Now, this was a rad kind of encounter because an angel jumps onto the boat. Anytime you see an angel across scripture, no one is like, hey, what's up? No one. Angels freak people out. So all like the like Hollywood of it, like a, you know, touched by an angel or swooped in by an angel or whooshed by, whatever, all those, they're all pansy. Usually in the Scripture, or always in the Scripture, an angel comes in. and You're like, ah! You're freaked out. Or you're totally clueless because they're in disguise. My point is, God has his way of getting in touch with us. And look at how he directs Paul's steps. Just jump down to verse 30. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they're going to lower some anchors. So they're not listening to him. Then Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, now these are the people who can kill him. This is what he says. Unless these men stay at the ship, you cannot be saved. You let them go, we're all going to die. Oh, hello. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat, and they let it drift away. Who's in charge now? Paul. God, because he speaks to his servant, he's able to take control of the situation. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You've been in constant suspense, and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. I urge you take some food. AKA we're gonna swim. You need some carbs. You need it to survive. Not one of you. Look at this bold statement. Paul is in physical chains and rattling around. Not one of you (laughs) is gonna lose a hair on his head. You see, Paul moves from prisoner to leader. And the same thing could be said for you. God can turn this around. Now, is Paul out of the ship yet? No. Is he in the middle of trouble? Yes. In the middle of trouble, God can give you a boldness and a confidence to stand in front of the colleagues that you go to school with or live with or work around and say, I know things look bad, but God is going to see us through. You hold on to Jesus, and Jesus will see us through. That kind of confidence, it comes from God. So friends, whatever the issue is this morning, big or small, like life-threatening or just annoying, the response to today's message is to bring those things to Jesus because God gives real-time answers to real-life problems. I love that. God gives real-time answers. And I know this week in and week out. I've been honest with you. When we started this church— my wife and I felt by the Spirit we were supposed to be a part of this team to help plant this church. I have never planted a church. And although my dad is a pastor, I've spent most of my life traveling around outreach events around the world. Check. I could do that in my sleep. Lead a local church. Wisdom for the challenges you're facing. You're slightly complex, people. And, and I most often don't know what to do. I am not ashamed to say it. And most of our leaders, brilliant, wise, clueless (laughs) to the specific things that need to happen in your world. But when you come to God's people for wisdom, know this, God speaks. So I know what to do. When do I know what to do? At the last minute. The last minute. God, usually through someone else confirming what I've read in the Bible, I know exactly what we need to do. And once we've heard from God, we just put the shoulders back a little bit, a little confidence, not cocky, but confidence. This is what God is doing, and we're going forward until God says otherwise. And my friend, same could be said for you. You may be clueless. That's okay. God knows what to do. Also, we just need to remember that the trouble we're going through now is seasonal. When we started the church, it was really, really hard now here we are, this Easter, we celebrate four years as a community. And there's different rhythms. And right now, I'm telling you, this is the beginning of our best year ever. And God is moving. And it seems to be momentum. And, and just walking and seeing the Spirit just do things for all sorts of people. So trouble has a season too. And for Paul, it's like right now. For you, maybe right now. Hear the word of the Lord. It's not forever. It's not forever. Now, disclaimer, because it's Valentine's Day. Marriage is forever. That's God's design. It doesn't always happen. And we're all saddened by that. And if you've, you've been divorced, you're, you're welcome and you're loved. And there's no shame. And, and we're all equally loved by Jesus. But know that God's heart for relationships is to not jump ship in the storm. But to hold on to Jesus To not lower the lifeboat like the soldiers are going to do, right? Get in, and while everyone else drowns, I'm getting out of dodge. God's heart for you is to hold on to your spouse and to Jesus. That's God's, hear that, because then you're like, oh, wow, he said, you know, trouble seasonal. So it's time for a new season, which usually involves a new person. Don't let that be your story. If it's not too late, then don't let it be too late. Hang on to Jesus. By the way, that's not in the notes. That's for some of you. Bonus. Bonus. So are you obedient in the things that you know to do? What what does God tell Paul? God tells Paul, here's how I'm going to do this. No one's going to die. Keep everyone in the ship. At the right time, it's going to run aboard. It's going to hit some rocks. Swim. Paddle, 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 paddle. You're all going to make it. And so he tells them, Eat. Why? We're about to leave. And so God in his goodness gives real wisdom. So let me ask you, are you obeying in the little things? Are you taking the practical steps that God's already told you to do? Some of us were waiting for the, waiting for the voice from God. And the voice is coming back. It is written. <laughs> it's written. God's given us what to do. You want to learn how to follow Jesus? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and read from cover to cover. God has already given us the majority of wisdom that we need. Are you doing what God asks you to do? Um, Again, I've said it again and again, I I don't know what to do often, but I keep my, my eyes on what God has said, so I'll know what he's saying in my moment. All right, last one, and we're done. We are part of a larger story. Now we just looked at, at the encounter, so we don't need to recap it. But, our, but just remember, our trials aren't just about us. Uh, we'll look at a, a couple more verses. Verse 42. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Why? If a soldier lets a prisoner go, they get imprisoned or killed. So they're responsible to get them to Rome But when in doubt, you kill these guys. You do not let prisoners free. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. Why did the centurion want to spare Paul's life? Because he was hearing from Jesus. He was useful. He was encountering God. And he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim, jump overboard first and get to land. The rest, we're going to get there on planks, a.k.a. the non-good swimmers, (laughs) or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. God fulfilled his promise. But hear this, Paul's in the ship for the benefit of the soldiers and the crew. It's not just about Paul getting saved. It's when the others freak out, they get a chance to see the gospel lived out. And that's the funny thing about trials and storms and struggles and heartache is it's an opportunity for you to Encounter the living God so that the people around you can see why is it they should be falling apart and yet they seem to smile. They, they should be collapsing. They should be running away, but they seem steadfast. What is it that's giving them such hope? And we get the chance to say it's Jesus. So Paul's in the ship for the benefit of the soldiers and crew to hear the gospel. Paul's in the ship so that hundreds of people will be saved. And that is the good news. I was talking to a business leader in the community, uh, in this church, and just talking uh, just about life and stuff, and there's some struggles uh, in their company. It's a bigger one. And I was listening to his perspective, and it was so insightful. Without giving you the details, this guy in this church, who, who, who's mature in Jesus, was saying, I am here for the benefit of my employees. Whoa, that's pretty profound. And, and there, you know, there's some eco- economic weirdness right now. I'm here to help make sure that my employees are cared for. So other people in our company, they're concerned more about the bottom line or they're concerned more about how to get ahead, but I'm here to help. Mind-blowing. What wisdom? He sees what we should all see, that even in the middle of tough decisions that you have to make as a leader in a company – you can actually do it with a godlike mindset. You have been planted there. Yeah, the company's going through some troubles. Yeah, there may be layoffs. Yeah, man, there may be cutbacks. But what if you are in that spot to actually make a difference? What if God's using you to help someone else? So what I'm suggesting is that there are aspects of suffering that we have to sometimes take a step back and look and see, okay, God, what are you doing in the bigger story? What's going on in the larger story, and where do I fit in that story? Now, that's what happened to Paul. That's what's happening to us. But I want to circle back and, and not make a light of what you're going through. I don't want to minimize the reality of pain. I'm not here to be glib and say, you know, Jose, that's easy for you to say because you're not walking through what I'm walking through. I don't want to be insensitive to the agony and the sense of loss. We, we do go through times of real pain and suffering. But I'm here to say that trials and struggles don't last forever. And that you may gain insight into God's bigger story by what you're going through. Um, I was sharing a little bit about this message with a group of people. And Penny, she's here this morning. She's a part of our our team. And she's one of our deacons. And I watched over the last year, year and a half, that uh, she struggled at the tail end of losing her mom. And she wrote this back to me. I actually sent these notes out to a few people just to get impact. And she wrote back, She's like, Ephesians 6.10 got me through. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And what she said was like as she was watching her mom in decline through ALS, which is just brutal, and you watch someone slip away. Quote, I had nothing left in me physically or emotionally to endure and give my mom what she needed. It was only by the strength of the Lord in me that allowed me to keep going 24 hours a day while I watched my mom deteriorate before before my very eyes. It was Ephesians 6.10. Now, Ephesians 6.10 was not written to Penny first. It was written 2,000 years ago to a church in Ephesus, right? But Ephesians 6.10 is used by the Spirit of God to get one of our sisters in Jesus through a brutal and long ordeal. So what I'm here to say is God can speak life in the middle of your mess. James 1. I'll throw it up on the screen and I'm going to ask you to do something. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it and what? Opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Trials are an opportunity for us to draw closer to God and draw closer to his people. So in the end, my maturity level goes up. My endurance goes up. My strength goes up. My faith goes up. God's faithfulness is bigger in my view and I'm I'm not needing anything. It doesn't mean we don't need people and don't need God, but it means that I'm able to withstand the next test because I've learned from this one.